There are a handful of places throughout Scripture where we find different lists of what we have called spiritual gifts, characteristics, talents that are a part of who we are. Like it says in Ephesians 4, some are apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, some teachers. Or in 1 Corinthians 12, the utterance of wisdom, the utterance of knowledge, the working of miracles, prophecy, the discernment of spirits, various kinds of tongues, or the interpretation of tongues. Or like we read in Romans 12, the gifts of prophecy, ministry, teaching, exhortation, generosity, leadership, and cheerfulness. It's quite the list, some of which sound peculiar to us, that we all want to know what our gifts are, whether we are growing up thinking about what we will do with our life, or whether it's in the middle of our career, wanting to know how we are most useful. Or perhaps it's in retirement, where we discover it is such a new season in our lives, or perhaps in our faith where we want our faith to inform our gifts. That what if we took one of those personality tests that recommends to us what we should do and the answers came back, you should really try working miracles. Or maybe you should be an apostle. We wouldn't know what to do. That these lists that we have read are not exhaustive. There are other gifts we can add to those lists. Gifts like listening, perseverance, patience, kindness, gentleness. Most importantly, these lists, as we find them in the pages of Scripture, invite us to reflect on our gifts and to name them because there is power in naming. Like where Jesus says to the disciples, who do others say that I am? Well, some say John the Baptist, that brash and unpolished prophet always talking about repentance. Well, others say you're Elijah. You know, the return of that prophet that's to make a way for the Messiah, the next king of Israel. Well, then some say Jeremiah, that weeping prophet that had such a tender heart. Well, Jesus said, well, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. That there is power in naming. But how did Peter say those words? How did they roll off his 
tongue. Did he say them with utter confidence? You are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Did he say them loudly and clearly? Or did Peter say those words with a bit of curiosity in his voice? Letting them hang in the air just for a second. You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. That it doesn't take anything away from the power of naming, it might give us more clarity in how. Naming really happens. That if someone said to us, what are your gifts? Would we say with all the confidence in the world, well, I, I am an excellent teacher and occasionally I work small miracles. Or would we say those words with a little curiosity? Wondering what they mean for our lives. Well, I, I'm a good listener. And I'm fairly patient. And I like to encourage others. That there's still power in naming, but it leaves us open to learning what those gifts might look like in our lives. That we can name our gifts with a bit of curiosity, letting them linger in the air so that we remain open to how we might use them. That we can await the presence of God and we can lean into the wisdom of others as they show us how to use those gifts so they take on the shape of the love of Christ. That when Peter said, you are the Messiah, he might have had a little curiosity in his voice because he was wondering how Jesus was different from John the Baptist, Elijah, and Jeremiah. That Jesus was not your cookie-cutter prophet. That there were all these expectations in the air about what the Messiah was going to look like. That some people thought the Messiah was going to be a strong military leader to take back the throne from Rome. Others assumed the Messiah was going to look like a priest, reestablishing the role of the temple in Israel. Others thought, well, maybe the Messiah is going to look like the Pharisees, bringing back the importance of the law in people's lives. But Jesus did not fulfill all those expectations. That Peter was right to say those words with some 
curiosity, wondering what they might mean because nobody expected the Messiah to look like a suffering servant, which is the shape of the love of Christ. that Peter left his answer hanging in the air, wondering exactly what it might mean. And we can name our gifts in the same way. One writer has said, gifts are desirable, but great grace and small gifts are better than great gifts and no grace. That it is better to have small gifts with grace than it is to have big gifts and no grace. Richard Vilotus remembers a college class that he had decades ago where he was assigned a book that he was supposed to read about postmodernism. Well, he had already read a couple books about postmodernism, so he just, you know, skimmed the overview on the back of the book and thought he was ready for class. Because the next day in class, he had to give a 30-minute presentation on that book. So he stood up the next day, And with all the confidence in the world, he started to talk about postmodernism and about this book he didn't read. Well, about halfway through his 30-minute presentation, the professor sitting all the way in the back of the auditorium raises his hand. Never a good sign. And the professor said, Rich, you haven't read the book, have you? Well, all the confidence drained from his voice as he sheepishly said, No, I haven't. Well, he still had 10 minutes left in his assigned presentation. He thought the professor was going to have him sit down. But even worse, the professor said, Well, keep going. And after class, as everybody was making their way to the door, he motioned to Rick to come over. And he expressed his disappointment. And he urged him to do the readings in the future. But then he said, Rich, you have a gift for reading the overview of the book and being able to give a 30-minute presentation. But you also have a curse. The curse is you will be tempted to believe that you can live your life off of your gifts and not do the deep work of character formation. That we can name our gifts in such a way that they linger in the air just long enough for us to learn how they can take on the shape 
of the love of Christ. As Romans says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Along Route 66, just outside of Amarillo, Texas, there is this wonderful, fascinating, one-of-a-kind roadside attraction called Cadillac Ranch. Years ago, a group of artists got together and decided they were going to pay tribute to the evolution of the tail fin on Cadillacs. So they got 10 Cadillacs with different tail fins and lined them up and buried them in the ground. Half of the car underneath the ground, the other half pointing up where the hood was down and the tail fin was pointed up to the sky. And travelers by the hundreds stop every day to come see Cadillac Ranch. Well, over the years, it became tradition to spray paint the car. So people will drop by the hardware store on their way and pick up cans of spray paint, or you can borrow a can from a fellow traveler, which is what we did. And when you're standing there up close to these cars, you can see layers upon layers of years upon years of people who have written things all over them that you could spend days on end, trying to read everything that everybody has written. But what takes even longer, standing there, is trying to decide what you're going to write. It seems so important that we all want to leave our mark. But what are we going to write? It is the same with our gifts. How are we going to use them? What shape are they going to take? That we can name them in such a way where we let them hang in the air just long enough where we can learn how they can take on the shape of the love of Christ. Amen.